It is good to be here this morning. Uh, Westminster is a, a, a tremendous partner with us at City Rescue, and we, uh, we really appreciate the work that they've done through the years and the partnership that they have uh, had with us at City Rescue. Uh, City Rescue is, a, is quite a place. I um, was a pastor. I pastored for about 35 years, and uh, uh, not all in Oklahoma City, but the last 10 years have been in Oklahoma City, and nine of those uh, we we were volunteers down at City Rescue uh, on a weekly basis doing their chapel services. Uh, and I just have a real heart for the hurting of our community. And so when the president at City Rescue, Glenn Cranfield, who's a dear friend of mine, decided to go back into pastoring, the board uh, contacted me and asked if I would be interested in taking on the, the presidency. And I... Uh, it kind of made me mad a little bit because I, I, I couldn't understand. I, I had a thriving church, and, and they knew me. Uh, and I looked at them. I said, you know, I, I really I, I love what we do down here, and I love this place, but I don't need one more thing to, to do with the church. And, and our family, we run a, a ministry training school here in Oklahoma, and, and it was just I was busy. And so... Um, you know, they said, okay, well, we just thought that, that you would be perfect for the job. And, and I said, well, I appreciate your vote of confidence in me, but uh, I, um, I just, I would let you down big time. And so um, I was driving home from that meeting, and uh, I don't know, I got about two, three miles away from the mission, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit settled in my car and began having a talk with me. <laughs> You ever experienced that <laughs> when you know, oh, something's up? And um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as I've ever heard him speak in my life. And he said, Tom, your whole life has been in preparation for this moment. And I, um, I he and I have this way of communicating with each other and I'm going well you're going to have to tell Connie because she's not going to be very happy when I tell her that I'm taking on one more thing and um, so I thought you know I've got an out uh, I'm going to go home and tell Connie what they wanted and she's going to say no way so sure enough in all my confidence of 35 years of marriage i I go home and I, she said, so what was that all about? And I said, you know, they wanted me to take on the presidency of the mission. She said, well, you told them yes, didn't you? And I said, now how in the world is that going to work? She says, if God is calling you to that, God's going to take care of everything else. I said, yeah, but what about Harbor House? What about the church? What about? And she said, if God has called you to that, God's going to take care of these other things. And within just a few days, all of those other things in my life had um, had been resolved, taken care of. And uh, two years ago, I took on the headship of City Rescue Mission, and it's been probably the greatest two years of my entire ministry. We, um, we love helping hurting people. And I'm going to talk this morning for a few minutes on the subject of loving people. I, I was really excited when your pastor invited me to come share because this is a church plant. I believe that the greatest work that God does in the lives of his children is when he is able to get us out of our comfort zone. Now, Westminster is a great church. Like I said, we have a, a wonderful partnership with them. They've been a part of our ministry at City Rescue for years. 
Uh, George and Donna Nye are just dear, dear friends of our. Donna's on our board, and, and, and they're just incredible people. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, and I'm not saying anything negative about tradition because I believe that God's traditions are very powerful, especially passing down from generation to generation. But sometimes we can get comfortable in doing things the same way that we've always done it. And uh, when your pastor was sharing with me on the phone about the vine and I went online and searched it out, I thought, this is going to be so fun. (laughs) Because, listen, you guys are on the cutting edge. You have stepped out of a comfort zone of many, 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 many years. And you are allowing God to do a a special thing in you uh, to to reach out on a new level and reach people that sometimes would, would feel more comfortable coming into this Uh, more edgy environment than possibly the more traditional. And I just want to applaud you because I feel like that God is going to do a mighty work. I I feel in my spirit that what God is going to birth out of this uh, church plant, this community plant, is going to be something that that multitudes of people, their lives are going to be touched and changed by it. But I want to talk to us about loving people. There's an old story about a professor who was assigned to teach an introductory class about time management for freshman orientation. Without saying a word, he walked into the classroom and set a one-gallon, wide-mouth glass jar on the table in front of him. Then he produced about a dozen tennis ball-sized rocks and carefully placed them one at a time inside the jar. When the jar was filled to the top and no more rocks would fit inside, he asked the question, Is this jar full? Everyone in the class said, Yes. Really, he said. Then he reached under the table and pulled out a bucket of gravel. He dumped some gravel into the jar and shook it, causing pieces of the gravel to work themselves down into the spaces between the rocks. Then he smiled and asked the group once more, Is the jar full? By this time, the class was starting to catch on. Probably not, one of them said. (laughs) Good, he replied. Then he reached under the table and brought out a bucket of sand. He started dumping the sand in and it filled all the spaces between the rocks and the gravel. And once more, he asked, is this jar full? No, the class shouted. Again, he said, good. Then he grabbed a pitcher of water and began to pour in the water until the jar was filled to the brim. Then he looked back at the class and asked, what is the point of this illustration? One eager student raised his hand and said, The point is, no matter how full your schedule is, if you really try hard, you can always fit something more into it. No, the teacher shouted. That's not the point. The point is this. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in at all. What are the big rocks? What are the important things, the most important things? You see, we can go through life and we can think about our busyness as a Christian. We can think about our responsibilities to make sure that the church operates properly. We can think about all the things that we're involved with our families, with our jobs. And we sometimes can get so busy doing so many things that we sometimes forget the big things. We talk a lot in our ministry training environment at our school for youth pastors is that uh, you have to make sure that you don't place the minors in place of the majors. 
that in life God has expectations of us as believers that he considers to be major. And sometimes we get so busy focusing on things that we think are majors, but really they're nothing more than minors. It's the minor things that keep us on that treadmill and we're running, running, running. We're so busy that when we actually come in contact with those elements of the major things in our life, we are so short with them. We're so exhausted that we we limit ourselves and we have attitudes when we respond to those major things in our life. And before long, the majors just completely get set to the side. I want to talk this morning about a major principle that God places in our lives and in our hearts as believers, and that is to love people. Our brother here leading worship while ago read a passage of Scripture talking about that you've got to love God. The two main commandments out of all the commandments, the two major commandments according to Christ, is that you love God, and then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, God's laws are very similar to the Russian nesting dolls. Have you ever seen those Russian nesting dolls where there's one big one and then you open it up and there's another one inside there and then there's another one inside there? And eventually you get down to the middle and there's this little tiny doll. God's laws are kind of like that. You start with the entire Bible, you open it up, and inside you find the 613 Torah laws. When you dig into those, you can narrow it down to the Ten Commandments, God's basic laws for right and wrong. And nestled snugly inside the Ten Commandments are the two very simple principles. Love God and love people. That's what matters most to God. These are the greatest commandments. You see, these are the big rocks. If we can focus on them and make sure that those are in our jar, then there's something powerful and effective when we begin reaching out and touching those smaller rocks. Let's look at loving God. It's the first commandment. John Piper said, uh, author of Desiring God, sums it up this way. Take all of your longing and focus it on God until he satisfies it completely. As we draw nearer to God, he comes nearer to us. And as we learn to love him more, he opens our hearts to greater love. Max Lucado explains, God rewards those who seek him not those who seek doctrine or religion or systems or creeds. Many settle for these lesser passions, but the reward goes to those who settle for nothing less than Jesus himself. And what is the reward? What awaits those who seek Jesus? Nothing short of the heart of Jesus. We're getting ready to go into the point of loving people, and I just want to tell you something. (laughs) You can't love people If you don't have the heart of Jesus, you can tolerate people, you can work with people, you can live with people, but you can't truly love people, especially the people that we're going to talk about in a few moments without the heart of Jesus. And I want to I want to let you in on a little secret that I discovered years and years ago. When I seek God, when I seek God with everything in me. He reveals himself. On levels that I never knew existed. He, resi- he reveals himself through his word. But let me tell you, the worship that I felt in this place this morning coming from you and the, the dynamics, the chemistry between the worship team moved my spirit. Because I realized that you guys are on to something. 
And that something is that in the midst of that moment of, of, of abandonment, you're just setting your, your world, everything about it to the side, and you are passionately pursuing God through the worship. You see, the Bible says that, that he inhabits the praises of his people. God will show up mightily as God's people move into celebrating and worshiping him and i want to encourage you as a as a new church plant i know it's it's different for some of you especially with traditional uh worship that you might have experienced in the past which there's nothing wrong with but i i encourage you to step out there you know when peter stepped out on the water in his own mind he knew that it didn't make any sense but he felt this sense of trust in the lord and i want to i want to encourage you step out there because in that place you're going to find the heart of god on a level that you never experienced before and what happens with a body of believers like this is when they touch the heart of god and that the heart of god begins to to incorporate into their heart then when when you talk about what i'm getting ready to talk about with loving people i'm not talking about loving people that are lovable anybody can love people that are lovable i'm talking about being a representation of the body of christ on the planet that everywhere you go you're an unlovable person magnet I told my wife one time, I pray for chaos. She says, you need to stop. <laughs> I said, it's in the midst of chaos that the realness of people surface. And you know what? I don't want to be afraid of other people's chaos. I want to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit that I can walk into the midst of that situation and there be something so alive in me that it causes them to awaken to the silliness of the way they're behaving. To the silliness of the way they're thinking about the situation. I want to be a representative of, of the Holy Spirit that when I go in there, the Holy Spirit in me goes into that situation also. And she said, oh, because you can't argue with the fact that we can... Always seek the lovable. And you know what? You can find it. You are in charge of where you go, the people you hang out with. You are in charge of... You can set up your little domain of your home and your job and, and, and your peer group, your friend group, your church group. You can do life and never come in contact with somebody that is on the bottom looking up. And God's going, but I put you on the planet not to hang out with the pretty people only, but to be a representative of the power of transformation of the Holy Spirit that where you walk into the presence of that hurting environment, that life is injected into the situation. The Scripture tells us to love God, meaning you're going to have to connect with Him first or else you're going to be chewed up and spit out. When you go into those places that God needs you to go, love God, the number one commandment. Let intimacy rise and develop between you and God. Into me see, God. Open yourself. Let God see. He already knows you. He just wants you to let him in. 
Let him see. Let him work in you. Let him work those rough edges off in your life. And as you become intimately in relationship with God the Father and you take on the heart of his son, then when you look at those hurting people, you're going to find yourself not intimidated by them, not afraid of them, but you're going, I see you with the love of Jesus. And I receive you as Christ has received me and as he's received others and he's received you. And I come to you bearing great gifts. It's not the gifts of money. And though we sometimes give money to hurting people, it's not the gift of food, which sometimes we give food. But more important than anything is the gift of life that dwells inside you as a believer who is intimate with God the Father. But when you find yourself not being afraid, I have people tell me all the time, said, I've driven by City Rescue. That just freaks me out. I can't hardly drive down in that neighborhood because I see all those people standing out on the street and I don't know who they are. They're going to kill me. It's odd because when I drive down through there, my heart breaks. My heart breaks because I look at those people and I think, you need what I've been gifted with. I have Jesus. I've been gifted with Jesus. And I have Jesus. And they need Jesus. And I'm drawn to them. Not because, not because I feel sorry for them, but because my heart aches. Because unless someone takes the truth of the life of Jesus to them, you just think they got it bad. Eternity is going to be much more bad for them than life on this earth being homeless. The question isn't, who is my neighbor? The question is, am I being a neighbor? Loving your neighbors essentially means loving the people around you, all of them. Loving your neighbor is second in importance only to loving God because loving people is really just an extension of loving God. Jesus couldn't have given us the greatest command without also giving us the second greatest command, Because the two are completely entwined. Loving people is the visible manifestation of loving God. Loving God means loving people. And loving people means going out of your way. Rearranging your schedules. Using our resources to meet the needs of the people around us. When you put your arms around someone who needs a shoulder to cry on, you are fulfilling the greatest command. When you give an expectant... When you give an expected gift to someone struggling to pay their rent, you are loving your neighbor and your God. When you take time to shovel the snow off of the sidewalk of of an elderly neighbor, you, my friend, are extending the love you have for God to the people around you. Not simply loving the lovable, but also the unlovable. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, talks about the Good Samaritan. You know the story. You can read it. It's, it's um, verses 25 through 37. This man had fallen into harm's way on his journey. He was beaten up and robbed. And if you look closely at that passage of Scripture, you find out that there were several people that walked past them, and most of them were quite religious. Most of them were heavily involved in their faith. And yet when they saw the man that appeared to be dangerous, they literally crossed the street 
to keep from having to be confronted by having to act upon that man's need. In talking with the homeless that we serve, one time the question was asked, what hurts you the most about being homeless? They said the most painful part of being homeless is being treated as if we're dangerous. Said there's nothing like walking down the sidewalk and see people coming towards you. And they get this deer caught in the headlight look when they recognize that you're coming down the same sidewalk they're coming down. And then to watch them without having even given an opportunity to know me, without even given the opportunity for me to speak a word of greeting to them, they pass judgment on me and walk across the street so they don't have to face me. And yet they really don't even know me. How painful could that be? Especially at a time when a person has hit the bottom, especially at a time when they have, for whatever reason, been separated from their loved ones. I mean, if you and I lost our jobs tomorrow, we probably have a dozen people we could go live with till we got back up on our feet. But whatever the reason, people say, why do people find themselves homeless? It's as different as there are numbers of people. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why they're homeless. The reality is, what is our neighborly response going to be to them just where they are? And that's the power of the body of Christ functioning at its highest level of excellence. Is that when we let the love of God flow out of us, even when we don't know the circumstances of somebody, let me tell you what, they're all worth loving. There's a, there's a reason why I have such a, a deeper passion for the homeless. I don't share this everywhere, but I'm going to share it with you this morning. My parents divorced when I was five. My father was an alcoholic, and he moved to California, supposedly because he couldn't deal with the issues here in Oklahoma City. It was in Tulsa. In Tulsa. So he moved, and I saw him about three times for the rest of my life. But when I was 25 years old, I was pastoring a small church on the east side of the state. I got a phone call. And um, it was um, a coroner's office in California, Burbank. They had, were notifying me that they had located my father's body in an abandoned building. So when I began seeking out why was his body found in an abandoned building, come to find out from the time he left when I was five to the time I was 25, he had been homeless on the streets in California. And I was a young pastor. I was ready to change the world. I had my plans. I knew exactly what God was going to do with me. I'm pretty bold and kind of speak out. And I just knew I was going to change the world. I had a paradigm radical shift at that moment because the Lord spoke to me. He said, every homeless individual on the streets are somebody's son, somebody's daughter, somebody's brother, somebody's father. And the question that rang over and over in my mind at the age of 25 years was, how was my father treated? Because you know what? He had some real issues with alcoholism. The addiction that is as one of the most complicated in the world to conquer, to overcome. 
next to impossible without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, I believe. And yet, he found himself with the moment of his last breath in the doorway of an abandoned building. And I thought, gosh, I remember praying this prayer, God help me do all I could do to ensure that someone else's father or mother or sister or brother at least had the opportunity to be treated with dignity and respect. I can't change them because they've got to desire God before that change ever takes place. But I know how I can be in control of the way I treat them. So when the Holy Spirit... (laughs) From that moment on, I, I, we fed the home. We had a 4,000-member church in Florida, and we would feed, fix thousands of sandwiches, take them out to the edge of the woods and honk the horn, and the homeless would come out because in Florida you can live homeless in the woods all year round. And we would feed them every week, and we were just pouring into them and ministering to them and seeing their lives transformed. And so while I was pastoring, I still had this link to the homeless. And so when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, when the board asked me to be the, the president of the mission, I, that's when the Holy Spirit said, Your whole life! has been in preparation for this moment. All right. But I want to encourage you today. You don't have to be the president of the mission. Our brother asked for some volunteers to go down there tonight. I think tonight would be a good night for you to step out. If you haven't done it in the past, maybe you have, maybe maybe you go on a regular routine, but if they need help tonight, this would be a good night to go to City Rescue and just... Love on those people. We have uh, seen a tremendous transformation in the lives of the clients that we serve. It's an exciting thing to see people down so low, thinking that there's no hope. And yet God does a mighty work in bringing transformation. And I'm telling you where it comes from. It comes from the heart of Jesus in the lives of people like you, acknowledging their existence. It gives them hope to rise up. I'm going to close with this scripture found in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, or my addictions in bondage, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see... You sick or in prison and go to visit you. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Sometimes when I speak, because I am responsible as a president to raise the funds for City Rescue to take, provide all the services. And sometimes when I go places, they're expecting me to come and give a pitch for funds. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. I would much rather speak life to you and get you so intimate, connected with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit can get more out of you than I could ever. You agree? 
when the Holy Spirit moves on us and we're obedient in our giving. So this isn't a message of giving today. Your church is very actively involved in what happens at City Rescue. This message today is to tell you this. In, in truth, you need us more than we need you. Because we have 500 of the least of these living at our house. And Jesus commissioned you to minister to them. You don't have to go out on the street, though you can. But you can come to City Rescue and find 500 of the least of whom God's heartbeat beats after. So I want to encourage you tonight, this morning, love people. Love your family. Love the people you work with. Love your neighbors. But let's not exclude the least of these because on Judgment Day, the question isn't how well did you get along with your boss. The question really isn't how well you got along with your family. The question is, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, when I was in bondage, were you there? When I was sick, were you there? When we step out of our comfort zones, God is going to bring people who are in great need. And I want to applaud you as a local church, as a, as a local community of, of believers. Don't overlook them. They will be a reason why the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit will settle on this place on a level that you never dreamed is when God can trust you to not neglect the least of these. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?